You are listening to Behind the Mask with Diva with Depression. Hello everyone. How are you today? Welcome to Behind the Mask with the Diva with Depression. And I am the Diva with Depression. I thank you all for joining me today. I thank everyone who listened to my first episode. I'm so appreciative of all the feedback and all of the love. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go on over and listen to episode one. It will give you a glimpse into who I am and what I'm living with and where I'm going to go with this, this podcast. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So how are you guys doing today? No, how are you really doing? That's what I want to know. You know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I want to take it one step further and say, we have to start telling people how we really feel, how our illness is really affecting us, and more so how we expect everyone to treat us because we're living with a mental illness. We have to start making people aware of how the things that they say and do affect us and how their lack of support affects us. My friends have learned to ignore me. <laughs> you know, if they say, how are you doing? And I say, I'm okay. My, my people closest to me know that they're like, yeah, all right. So how are you really doing? <laughs> and so I have to stop lying to the people in my circle they they always call me on it and so I'm encouraging you for the sake of your mental wellness to stop lying start speaking your truth and start letting people know how you demand to be respected because you're trying to get well you're trying to get whole and you're trying to heal and if the people in your circle are not willing to become aware then that shows that they don't truly care and those are the people that don't need to be in your life anymore. So that's my rant for right now. (laughs) You know, I have a a rant all the time. I'm going to start by reading Webster's definition of depression. An act of depressing or a state of being depressed. A state of feeling sad, anger, anxiety, and depression. A mood disorder marked especially by sadness, difficulty thinking, difficulty in concentration, an increase in appetite, sleeping, dejection. That's Webster's definition. They have no idea. (laughs) And then I went to the American Psychiatric Association and looked up what their definition was. And it's a major depressive disorder. It negatively negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and how you act. It causes feelings of sadness, a loss of interest, and activities you once enjoyed. It can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems and can decrease your ability to function at work and at home. That is an understatement, but we'll get to that later. Symptoms could be sadness, mood, having a depressed mood, uh, changes in appetite. You can lose weight or you can gain weight. Loss of energy, increased fatigue, uh, 
um, no, not wanting to be physical, you know, not wanting to engage in physical activity, walking or sports, feeling worthless or guilty, not having the ability to make decisions, thoughts of death or suicide. Now, that's all good. <laughs> you know, those are the clinical definitions. Those are the clinical symptoms that we've encountered all of our lives. My goal for my platform is to shut the books and to take you outside of the clinical and politically correct terms and symptoms of depression. <laughs> you know, my definition of depression is living in the basement of hell, the underbelly of rock bottom, mind-numbing darkness. The tunnel is so dark. I just finished speaking with someone and I referred to it as the rabbit hole that you can't get out of, like Alice in Wonderland. Um, although I'm not as cute as Alice <laughs> and uh, the rabbit is not as fun as, you know, Alice's friend was. You know, it gets lonely at rock bottom. And I think that people expect us to walk around with this cloud, sort of like Pigpen in his dirt cloud. They believe that if they see your cloud of depression, then that means that you're really depressed. And so that means that when you're in this rabbit hole, you don't have much support. Um, you don't have many friends. You can be abandoned by family members. It's a lonely place to be. And people just don't understand it. And there's no one symptom that rep represents depression. There's no one medication. I believe that can cure depression. So it's not something that is simply as cut and dry. Uh, I say that it's an inner cloud that we carry with us and it's always engulfed in tears. Always. You know, you can go out and you can have a great day and you can come home and just opening the door and walking through can you send you spiraling back to your rabbit hole. You can have a good meal. And after you finish having that meal, you can spiral back to the rabbit hole. You just never know what is going to trigger you and send you spiraling. And that's a main takeaway that, that I want to share is that depression looks different for everyone. And you can't judge someone based on what the next person is living with. My depression is different from the next person's depression. And so you can't treat me with the same medication. You can't treat me with the same therapy. You can't even treat me with the same gloves. <laughs> you know, um, it's different for everyone. And how you cope with it is different from everyone. And how you live with it is different. So when I read, when I go through and I read things like what the American Psychiatric Association says and what Webster says, 
I get sad because so many of us are locked into what these organizations say or what the higher-ups say or what the written word says we should be doing or how we should be feeling. And I think that it prevents so much of us from speaking out more. I think it prevents so many of us from getting help because we, we don't feel like we, we fall under these guidelines. And so either we think that we're not depressed enough to be taken seriously or we think that we don't need help. Um, we, don't, we don't think that, or we think that we're too far gone and, and nothing can stop, save us and that we just have to con continue trying to function where we are. So when I started this platform, that was one of the main questions that, that I was always asked. How do I know if I'm depressed? I did a live recently and, and someone asked me the same question. And like I said, I don't have an answer. Four years, five years after I started my blog, I still don't have an answer. Because even for me, daily, my illness affects me differently. There are some days when I can't get out of bed. There are some days when I can't cook a meal. Um, and then there are some days when I can get up and I can do some laundry. I can make myself something to eat. And then the next day, I may leave the house. So there's no standard answer for how you should feel or how it should look. And for me, Depression showed itself in different ways in different stages. And as I shared, I believe that I struggled with some form or strength of depression from a younger age. And so I can say that when I was much younger, maybe crying all the time was the way I showed my depression. When I became a teenager, sleeping a lot, moody. Someone else said that they became isolated. They ate more. I was the opposite. I was so afraid of gaining weight that I didn't eat much. I know that doesn't show now, but <laughs> at one point I didn't. Um, you lose, you, you're either at the point as a teenager where you're doing too much or you're doing too little. I think that would be a way to sum up how I felt. And so when you're a teenager, <clears throat> you sort of get caught in the, well, that's just a teenager way people look at you. Or personally, you will think that, well, you know, I'm, I'm a teenager, you know, I'm going through hormonal changes, I'm going through first love, I'm going through high school or, you know, junior high school and, and those different types of things. And so you just figure that, you know, you're sad or, you know, you're moody because of that. It's hard to pinpoint when you're younger, um, unless it's severe. And I think that that's why so many young people are ignored or discounted because we have this sort of general way of thinking teenagers should act and so it leads to neglect in some form and I'm guilty 
You know, I have two children and I know that in their teenage years, I probably didn't pay as much attention to some of the stages that I should have paid attention to. I, I think that a lot of parents get caught up in that. And so it's different in the, during those years. Um, after high school, it was sp sporadic for me. You know, I was working, I started working a full-time job. I was socializing a lot. <clears throat> I had a steady boyfriend, you know, around 21. So, you know, I figured I was living the good life. You know, depression had left and gone and went on about his business, <laughs> you know. Um, so I didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't devastate me as much I think that's the word um, I knew I would go out and have a drink I would go out and socialize I would go out and dance uh, I had friends that kept me busy and so I sort of fooled myself into thinking and I don't want to say fool myself because it's probably the case that it just wasn't there at that time you know that can happen you know, you can have a depressive, a, a dark depressive state for a period of time. And then one day it's not there. It's not as oppressive as it was the, the, the time before. And so between, between the ages of 20 and, and 25, I was, I was okay. You know, I had outlets. I, I think that was, that's the word that I want to use. And then... <clears throat> I got pregnant and I was so excited to be pregnant that I sort of stuffed it down. I think this is when my stuffing stage started. I was so excited to be pregnant that I just ignored signs and I ignored things that were going on around me that were contributing to my mental health declining. And then when I had my daughter, even though postpartum was there, I threw myself into being a mom and I didn't acknowledge that the depression was creeping back, that it was getting ready to hit me a little bit harder than it had hit me in prior years. And 1995 I lost my grandfather and um, anybody that knows me knows that I can go on for days and days <laughs> about what my grandpa meant to me and what he meant to my life and how amazing he was and so losing him um, not only was he the first close family member that I had lost he it was the first time that it was somebody that was a, a part of me, um, so to speak, um, that was gone. And so I remember after his service, we came back home, and I'm not sure where my daughter was at the time, um, but I was by myself. And all of a sudden, something hit me, like a wave came over me, and I started getting dizzy, and I started crying uncontrollably. And the force of whatever it was was so strong that it knocked me up against the wall. And I slid down, crying, bawling, shaking, onto the floor. 
And then I started hearing a voice just screaming, help me, help me, crying, help me, help me. And it wasn't an outside voice, it was my voice. And so it was then and there that I knew that this wasn't simple sadness. This wasn't grief, although it was probably mixed in there. But it was then and there that I knew that I was dealing with something more, something that I couldn't control. Because if something can come out of nowhere and just grip me like that, then that was something that I had no way of fighting. Um, at the time, I, I had no idea what it was, but I knew that it was something more. And this monster had kicked his way into my life. And at the time, I didn't know it, but he's been there ever since. And so I never, I, I share that story, but I, I don't think that I ever share how much it changed me and how much it affected me and although I carried on um, I was still a mom I still worked every day I was still a partner I was still a family member I, I, I was still a friend I had to continue playing those roles it was there it, it was there and it was getting more and more powerful and so I had to do a better job of concealing it and I did I was pretty good about it um, until you know when I was 31 and I had my second child and this time around the bounce back didn't come I wasn't really happy I was never really happy other than when I was with my kids. You know, they always made me happy. But you could see that the light had gone out. I didn't concern, concern myself with my well-being. I didn't concern myself with my looks. I didn't concern myself with anything. I just made do. I did what I had to do to move forward. But that at that stage I realized that the monster was here to stay uh, he wasn't leaving and he wasn't going to be dormant he was going to kick my ass for for many years to come and he's been doing a good job of it <laughs> you know um, because it's been hard to live with it um, I think that after a while, I had to realize that I had to make friends with it. <laughs> you know, some people say sit with it. I had to make friends with him because we were both going to be living in this body. And <clears throat> and so I, I had to learn how to stabilize him. At certain times, I had to learn how to ignore him. I learned how to control him to some extent. You know, I knew how far to let him out so other people wouldn't see. And that's how I lived, you know. So that's why when people ask me, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What is it? You know, am I depressed? 
you know am I just having a bad day I can never give them a straight answer because it's like a chameleon it changes daily sometimes it can be something environmental that triggers it a bad relationship um, loss of a job loss of a loved one uh, you know and and so that's that's when you have the books that tell you that if you change your environment that you will change your mindset you will change this this thing and so we go on believing that and so I just kept going um, and I just stuffed it down I kept him in the closet and kept going and going and going until he completely showed his ass in 2005 <laughs> you know um, and that was the first time that a medical professional really took the time to to explain to me how devastating depression can be how devastating bipolar disorder could be because I like I said I've been misdiagnosed on many occasions and that was the first time that someone took the time to explain that you know depression is not just the blues or it's not always the blues depression can take you out and he was he was working hard on doing it <laughs> you know um, and I've tried many I tried many different things up until that point I tried natural natural or alternatives I tried to start um, exercising I was social you know I, I had friends I was entertaining but something was definitely gone in me and it's not coming back um, so you see everybody is different and that's why I started writing because I get that question so many times and I want people to understand that depression isn't a bad hair day depression isn't I got the wrong DoorDash order <laughs> um, and when you hear me chuckle it it's not because I think it's funny it's because you just don't know what it is you know um, it says and they the medical dictionary says that the symptoms must last two weeks and must represent a change in your previous level of functioning for a diagnosis of depression really two weeks do you know what can happen in two weeks? Do you really know what can happen in two weeks? Life can change in a moment, two minutes. And for someone to tell me that I have to wait two weeks, I have to feel like crap, like the bottom of hell for two weeks in order for them to take me seriously. That's, that's an insult. There are also medical conditions, of course, that can um, 
trigger depression, you know, PCOS in women. Um, you could have, you know, autoimmune diseases that immune um, mimic or mask mental illness. That's what took me to the doctor first is because I had started having major headaches, migraines, um, and I was started becoming dizzy. And so my doctor treated me for vertigo for a little while. She treated me with my migraines for a little while. She even told me to take time off. She gave me a month off of work to try to get myself together. But I think in the end, she knew what it was. And thank goodness that she knew what it was because that started forcing me to sort of take this more seriously than I had taken it before. And I took it very seriously before, <laughs> but it, I don't know what, if you know what it feels like to have the wind knocked out of you. That's what it feels like. And imagine having the wind knocked out of you every single day, 24 hours a day, walking around with no breath, blind by the, blinded by the darkness. That's what it is for me. Now, some people you speak to, they will say that their anxiety levels are higher. And so, you know, they'll be treated for anxiety attacks or panic attacks. Some people, they scramble to stay busy because as long as they're staying busy, they don't have to focus on what's really going on with them. I do that at times now. I know that I will keep busy to avoid dealing with a certain situation. Um, because as long as you're busy, your brain is concentrating on that one task and you're not focusing on the fact that you're having more than a bad day. You're having more than a bad week. When in 2018, I was hospitalized with another breakdown and after I was inpatient I had to go outpatient and when you're an outpatient you have to go to group therapy for two hours every day and it amazed me and it still amazed me because in 2006 and prior to being hospitalized I did outpatient partial there here also but in 2018 is when I really paid attention and it's probably because I had started writing about my journey. But it amazed me that 10 people are sitting in the same room for pretty much the same reason and they will describe their illness 10 different ways. 10 different ways. And there's also 10 different ways that they've dealt with it, 10 different ways that they've lived with it, 10 different ways that their inner circle dealt with it, 10 different sets of stories, and one, one disease, you know? 
And that's not to say that all 10 of them, I say depression and sometimes, forgive me, but I use depression as a blanket. But say you had 10 people that suffered from, that two people that suffered from major depressive disorder. Then you had three people that were living with bipolar disorder. And then you had another two people that were living with schizophrenia tendencies, schizophrenic tendencies. But what I'm saying is, is that you can be sitting next to someone who has the same diagnosis as you, and it looks totally different. So I say this to say that we have to stop generalizing. So if I meet you tomorrow and I tell you that I suffer with severe treatment resistant depression, your question should be, how does that look to you? If you meet someone the next day who explains to you that they live with bipolar disorder. Your question should be, how does that look to you? Because it's different from everyone else. There's no blanket statement other than we all can agree on the fact that it's hell. We all can agree on the fact that it's gut-wrenching. We all can agree on how much it takes away from our lives. We all can agree on how much pain we're in. But it still looks different to everyone. And so your treatment will be different. And the medication that works for one person may not work for the, another, the next person. One person may not need medication at all. Talk therapy helps them. Another person running helps with their mental illness that's why you can't tell people oh exercise release some endorphins you'll feel better it doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way because let me tell you about my depression my depression has contributed to physical ailments that are not going away that I'm going to have to live with the rest of my life and those physical ailments make it impossible for me to go out jogging every day. So my endorphins are going to be released a little bit, <laughs> bit slower than the next person. So you can't say, well, go jogging to me because that's not going to happen. Now, I'm not going to discount exercise. I know that exercise, I know how much it improves your mood. But it's not a blanket treatment and it's not the cure for everyone and like I stressed before at the beginning we are not going to be able to heal until we are able to accept the differences in everyone and that means that if someone comes to you and they tell you that they are broken and that they're struggling um, and that they want this pain to go away, um, that this mental illness has flipped them off their feet. You cannot tell them 
to go for a run, to, you know, write in a journal. These things don't work. We have to start taking it seriously. And if you want to be an ally, you have to start researching and reading and listening. I mean, really, really listening. If a loved one says to you, I can't go out with you today because I can't get out of bed, don't call them lazy. Don't. Because you don't know how much it takes for us to get out of the bed. Hell, you don't even know how much it takes for us to sit up in the bed. <laughs> you know, um, people used to laugh when I said that. You know, you want me to sit up and watch TV? You want me to sit up and, and do work in bed? I can't, I can't sit up. If you go to their house and it's not up to your standards, don't call them disorganized. Don't call them hoarders. Don't make fun of them. You know, pitch in and offer to help them organize their space a little bit better, to help them function better. Um, because that's another symptom of the mental illness. Completing task is, is impossible. You know, you guys, you will find out <laughs> in weeks to come, episodes to come, that it's so hard to get through things. Um, I am fortunate that I do have people in my, my circle who are supportive and that who are helpful, um, and they help me to pull off <laughs> you know, some of the things that I do pull off, including this podcast. Um, but it's hard to be consistent. It, it's hard to read. It's hard to, you know, opening up the laptop and signing on is a struggle. You know, where the heck is my password? I, I have a list, <laughs> you know, of things. Um, but if you want to be an ally, if you want your loved ones to feel like they matter, you have to start becoming aware of what they're dealing with. Ask them what they need. Don't throw out blanket advice. Ask them what they need from you. If they say nothing, then don't do anything. You know, you can just sit next to them and love them. You can send them a text and say, I love you. I'm thinking of you. I'm here for you. That's what you can do. But please stop making people feel bad because they live with a mental illness. It's not easy. This is, this is, you know, imagine living with diabetes. Imagine living with a heart condition. Imagine living with, you know, limbs that don't work. Our inner limbs don't work. And this is what we're living with. And I just need more people to become aware of that. And that's part of the reason why I do what I do. Because I need you, I need people to see the inner workings. And so if you can listen to this podcast or go to my blog or go to one of my social media platforms and you can see that I wrote about feeling like shit, you can see that I wrote about not being able to comb my hair or you can see about any of the dark, dark experiences that I have on a daily basis. 
I'm hoping that if you recognize that in me, that you will recognize it in your loved ones going forward. And you will understand that it's not their fault. You know, even if it's not genetic, it, even if it is environmental, if they can't get out of their environment, that's not their fault. So what are you gonna do? Ignore them just because they're in that environment? That's not, that's not how the world works. That's not how the world should work. What you should do is love on them while they're in their environment. Let them know that you care for them while they're in that environment. Let them know that you think that they're a superhero because they're in that environment and surviving because they can choose and they can make another choice. And they can let the pain take them. And where would we be if that happens? So, since it is still Mental Health Awareness Month, I encourage you to be aware. Be aware of what's going on around you. Be aware of what's going on in the lives of your loved ones. If you are living with a mental illness, I want you to take this time to be loud. I want you to take this time to make someone aware of what life is like living with your mental illness. Make them aware of some of the symptoms that you're dealing with so they know that the next time they interact with you, they have to come correct. They have to come differently. And just like you know, um, I had a loved one that was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago, and I was at the doctor with him and writing stuff down, <laughs> and when they told me what type of cancer it was, I was on Google reading everything that I could about the illness and that type of cancer and treatments. That's who you should be if you want to call yourself an advocate. Research encourage love if you find yourself at a place where and I'm speaking to people that are living with a mental illness if you find yourself at a place where you feel like you are completely alone reach out to someone you can call the suicide hotline you can call the crisis text line you can call NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. You can call Mental Health of America. Those are organizations that compile resources to help you and, and they also offer free resources if you don't have the money to go to therapy right now. Take advantage of those free resources. You can go on any social media platform. That's the one thing that I'm, I'm actually excited about um, more people are starting to speak out. More people are starting to share resources. So you can always go on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. <laughs> you know, they have a whole, TikTok has a whole mental health TikTok section. You know, you can go on these social media platforms now and you can reach out to someone or you can listen, just listen, listen to people because they share their experiences. And sometimes that's all you need is to know that you're not alone. Even though I scream it all the time, I don't know why y'all not listen to me. <laughs> but um, you aren't. You're not alone. You're really not alone. Even if you just have me, you know, 
you're not alone. And if you feel like that's too much for you, you, uh, you can always email me and I'm always happy to look up resources for you. I hope that you guys continue to stay safe and stay well. I hope that you take care of yourself and I hope that you will return next week to listen to more from Behind the Mask with the Diva with Depression. Take care. Searching